The difference that we see is the land. We don't have a type of land availability. Um, mm-hmm. We're a lot more people condensed. And I've started a lot of my work um, in my in my year here with extension has been in infrastructure because mm-hmm. we have a lot of ex-dairymen who are transitioning into the beef world. And a dairy animal and a beef animal are quite different. And to right. teach people that um, is can be somewhat of a challenge because they have the infrastructure for dairy, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite work for our beef or they don't, you know, head, headlocks versus a, a squeeze shoot um, and the safety for you and for the animals and what are the end goals. So uh, we've been working and educating that a lot. And that's been something that's I have really loved because it's some of the basics, but the type of people that you get to work with in this uh, part from transitioning into uh, beef animals, because you kind of get to watch people fall in love with that beef animal. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. High D from DSM Firmanish can help your cattle get the vitamin D they need this winter. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. Beef and Dairy Agrislat by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With Beef and Dairy Agrislat, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting, and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandi Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we are joined by Taylor Zahn, Accenture Beef Educator at Penn State University. Taylor earned her bachelor's degree from North Dakota State University in Animal Sciences and her master's degree in education from Colorado State University. She works with Pennsylvania beef producers to solve their problems and address their concerns, and we are excited to have her on the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you today? How are things in Pennsylvania? They're good. We finally are getting some fall weather that has come with a lot of rain. So, oh, I, uh, I that makes I'm a little I'm very jealous. We are having mid kind of fall weather, but have not gotten the rain that's associated with it. So, uh, pretty jealous that you have that right now. <laughs> um, well, to get started, we'll jump right in. Can you tell us about how you got involved in the beef industry and your career path so far? You know, just catch us up. Some of us may not know as much about you, so catch us up on on things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was in, in undergrad at North Dakota State. I am originally from North Dakota. It was my home, and I got into animal science, but I only grew up on a hobby farm and had a little bit of random uh, pets, as I would call them. And so I was very new to understanding industry. And 
um, I got a job with the at one of the university farms and ended up just falling in love with the beef. And from then on, that was my mission was I wanted to have my own cattle one day. I was going to have a production. Um, unfortunately, I didn't come from a cattle family. So I needed to make sure that I made enough money to get into the <laughs> cattle business. <laughs> so I actually started to pursue uh, poultry because there's a little bit more money in the poultry industry <laughs> in order to pay for my cattle at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I did that, I got into a program called the Midwest Poultry Consortium. And I that is a scholarship program. Uh, at the time, it was in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's a summer-long program where they condense poultry classes and you're able to transfer those credits back to your undergrad university uh, to help graduate earlier. And the hope is, is that these poultry classes, you stay in the poultry industry. (laughs) And I shouldn't say, unfortunately, I actually met my husband in that program. Okay. Uh, He's from Mizzou, uh, Oklahoma, and he graduated before me and got into the poultry industry. So with biosecurity, that took me out of that. Yeah, we can't both do it. But funny enough, we actually both had the same idea was that we both were pursuing poultry in order to buy cattle. And because that's where our hearts were. And I feel like I actually got lucky in the whole deal because he gets to work with birds. But I get to go back to my true love, which is cattle and get it um, pursue that. And uh, so coming out of undergrad, I I took a job in Iowa managing um, about a 300 head limousine Angus production. And after about a year of working there, uh, fresh out of college, I quickly realized that um, managing somebody else's large herd took a lot of time away from myself and maybe potentially building my own. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go back to school, but I didn't know what for. So I had actually called my undergrad advisor and said, hey, I'm thinking about going back to school, but I don't know what I should do. And she laughed at me because I swore up and down I was never, ever going back to school. Grad school was not an option. I am happy to go just be done. And she's like, I knew this day would come. (laughs) So um, thankfully, we kind of came. She told me a little bit more about extension and some different programs that she's heard of. So I applied to Colorado State uh, online for their extension education program and ended up getting in right when COVID started. Oh, wow. (laughs) And um, at the same time, I want to believe it was the same week, actually, my, um, at the time, it was my boyfriend, his job asked us to move to Maryland uh, for his work. And uh, COVID had just started, I just got into grad school. There was Felt like just a lot changing and happening. But for his career, um, 
we decided to move um, out to the East Coast and I was going to start grad school online and we'd see where everything would take us. And um, we didn't move to Maryland. We live just on the other side of the border in Pennsylvania. Um, and I finished my master's online uh, during COVID and did some contract work with the Cattlemen's Association. Mm-hmm. And made connections there, which is kind of how I heard about the job with Penn State Extension when it opened in my area, because um, I had made some friends that were in Extension um, and have been here for just over a year now. Very cool. That is quite the, the <laughs> path. Um, it's funny that you say, or it's interesting that you say, not funny, but it's interesting you say you grew up on a hobby farm because like, and now you're involved in beef production and have cows. And like the same for me, I grew up on what you call a hobby ranch. You know, we had 4-H animals and things like yeah. that. Um, and I'm now also involved in pretty production. What, you know, you, you call them pets. Like what animals did you grow up with on your hobby, your family's hobby farm? I would say hobby farm. Um, we had mostly poultry, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably butchered oh. about 600 of our own broilers. Oh, wow. okay. We had, you know, 75 or so hens collected eggs. I had the ducks and geese, some goats, the rabbit, you know, things that keep that keep the kids occupied. <laughs> yeah. That's not a small hobby farm. That's 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 a big hobby. That's a big hobby <laughs> farm. Six hundred birds to, to butcher every year. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, well that is really interesting. So um, is your you said your husband is from Missouri? Is that what you said? Or Oklahoma? Um, he's from Oklahoma, but he's a Mizzou grad. Oh, okay, gotcha. All right. So that is like I said, that was quite the the path and the journey for you. You grew up in North Dakota and you managed that large herd for some other people. Has there been, you know, tell us a little bit about the learning curve from, you know, North Dakota beef and managing that type of operation. And then now you're in Pennsylvania. I imagine those are very different beef, you know, raising beef in a different way or different beef operations. Can you tell us about that learning curve a bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the Midwest, um, there's a lot of land <laughs> and um, the, the herds generally are just larger. So when we came out here, one of the things that I noticed um, was some of the connections I made. The joke was, was that if your cattle get out, um, you'll never catch them. So let them go. And I was like, I'll never. I'm from North Dakota. What we say is if you're, if your dog runs away, you're watching it for two weeks running. Because it's so flat, it's so you know. There's not no trees, nothing out there. Now I'm getting told you can't get your cattle back. And what I realized was nobody has fencing. Um, everybody is they they're cropping right up to the road. There's no shoulders. Oh, okay. um, and so if your cattle get out, there's just no fencing to kind of corral them. Um, it's they're free. <laughs> And um, what a lot of people don't know either about Pennsylvania is we actually have two major packing plants here in the state. And um, that has, we get a lot of our um, backgrounding from in Virginia and then our um, cow calves and feedlots come out here. But the two different parts of Pennsylvania is um, out in Lancaster, the East, we have, um, we like to say typically more of our feedlot area, mm-hmm. whereas the West, um, you're getting a lot more hillier and it's our cow-calf. 
the difference that we see is the land. We don't have the uh, type of land availability. Um, mm-hmm. We're a lot more people condensed. And I've started a lot of my work um, in my in my year here with extension has been in infrastructure because mm-hmm. we have a lot of ex-dairymen who are transitioning into the beef world. And a dairy animal and a beef animal are quite different. And to right. teach people that um, is can be somewhat of a challenge because they have the infrastructure for dairy, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite work for our beef or they don't, you know, head, headlocks versus a, a squeeze chute um, and the safety for you and for the animals and what are the end goals. So uh, we've been working and educating that a lot. And that's been something that's I have really loved because it's some of the basics, but the type of people that you get to work with in this uh, part from transitioning into uh, beef animals, because you kind of get to watch people fall in love with that beef animal. And that's what mm-hmm. happened to me when I was an undergrad was I got to work with them and I fell in love with them um, and their production. And it's just been a really fun experience so far. Right. So you mentioned a little bit um, about that transition, and I want to get to that in a second. But um, I'm sorry, I'm still on the whole, like if your cows get out, (laughs) I know, don't get them back. I've been to Pennsylvania a couple of times. I mean, I'm sorry, forgive me for like being so logistically focused. (laughs) Like, do you, I mean, they got to get them back somehow. Somebody's going to get them, right? Yeah, they will. Um, But it's not, you know, people aren't on horseback here. Um, And it will take, you know, if you have the four wheelers, you know, crawling them back. And luckily, not luckily, uh, our producers just don't have those that large of herds either. And so you're not talking about 100 plus. I th- uh, you know, the average herd here is about 80. And um, so when they get out, you can get them. It's just going to take a bit more, uh, maybe getting some gates, you know, to work them through and stuff like that. But they're going to they're going to get a ways out. <laughs> I, again, forgive me because I've never raised beef or lived in be- uh, raised beef in Pennsylvania or had cattle in Pennsylvania. I've only been to there twice. But are because there are such there are higher, like a more concentrated population in Pennsylvania. And um, I'm just wondering, like, are are on average, are the cattle herds there just like a bit more docile because they're used to being like in smaller spaces where, you know, they're not running on five, six hundred, seven hundred acre pastures. They're in, I'm assuming, smaller pastures. So are they a little bit more docile in general? Is that something that you've noticed or is that a misnomer that I am accidentally per- perpetuating? <laughs> uh, I would say mostly, yes. Um, kind of depends, right? That's the university answer <laughs> is it depends because they have smaller herds um, due to the smaller herds. though, so, cattle ranching is not a full time job. Mm-hmm. And uh, out here, we don't see that it's it's their job. They can only feed, you know, before work or after work and managing that. And as an educator too, um, all of our programs are pretty much always nighttime weekend programs because that's when our, our audience is home off of work because it's right. not a full-time job um, out here. And so their cattle... Um, typically are closer to home because they don't have the time to go out to the next pastures. Uh, 
But I will say too, you know, we we are challenged sometimes on the educator side of educating genetics and what genetics can really do to the docility and um, your your herd itself too. So educating that part, sometimes we feel like we're, we are lagging behind than in the Midwest when it comes to that stuff. Okay. That's fair. I mean, obviously docility can come from genetically, but also it is genetic, but it also can come from handling and, and proximity. So I just was very curious about that because yeah. you know, cattle that are running on a thousand acres are probably not going to see people as often as cattle that are on 50 acres or something like that. So it just was my curiosity getting the best of me there. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to get back. You, you brought this up. Um, you talked about how a lot of producers are transitioning from dairy to beef and there's some, um, you know, there's, there are associated actions with that. So you can, so first I want to ask, um, can you provide insight into like why that is happening? Like, you know, what reason there is or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? As somebody who's on the beef side, uh, I don't want to speak for a dairyman, but we are, they are seeing a lot of just hardship um, in their industry and making money. And honestly, also uh, the time it takes in the dairy industry, you're, you're really locked down to your farm. But it, once you're in, it, in ag, a lot of people want to stay in it. They love it. Their heart's in it. Um, so they're looking for alternatives of how can I stay in you know, business, but a different business. Right. Um, so we're seeing them transition to beef thinking that, oh, it's not milking three times a day. It's, you know, how can I fatten them? I've got this much space. And so we're, we're seeing a lot of people uh, interested in um fat cattle and how can they maybe even backgrounding and things like that with our two packers in the state. And um, so we do, we're doing a lot of education in that and working with JBS and even Tyson and what they're looking for and how we can get cattle um, local to our packing plants. Right. I imagine sourcing is a, is a, is a, I mean, it's a crucial topic. So yeah. imagine that's something you talk about a lot. All right. And then, so the next question on related to this is because you talked about this earlier is the infrastructure, you know, like a dairy barn, imagine has to be retrofitted for beef cattle. I don't know. Again, I don't live in Pennsylvania. Are, is there a lot of um, like semi-confined cat, like people raising beef in a semi-confined way that they're in a, in a barn a few months a year or something like that? Like, can you speak a bit to that? Because some of our listeners may ha not have any experience with cattle or, you know, cows in confinement or in semi-confinement. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We had um, our local Pennsylvania Cattlemen's Association had their field day this last summer uh, up in Mercer County, and they went to a farm that I want to say milked uh, 250 cows and have transitioned the entire farm to uh, feeding cattle. And so they worked with an engineer and retrofitted their dairy barns uh, to feed cattle and fatten them. And then they have a cow-calf as well. And uh, they have some pasture in the next county over. And in the winter, they come back to uh, one of their old dairy facilities and uh, house them for the winter. So every production is different and you got to mm -hmm. find what works for you as long as you are working with what's best for the animal and meeting all of their needs um, and getting the best out of them and 
keeping everybody safe. But in our buildings, I think one of the reasons that this really, this topic really sparked home for me too, was when I came out here and started going to people's farms, especially in my area of Pennsylvania, a lot of people had these things called bank barns and I didn't know what they were. And I was like, a bank barn. Okay. (laughs) And everybody had one and I, I just didn't get it. And come to find out is that you're building a barn that's on a a hill, a bank, and um, the the bottom part, you can drive up to the top half, and then on the other side of the hill, you have, um, you can put animals. It makes total sense, and these barns are like 100 plus years old. Um, I'm just, again, from North Dakota, we don't have banks, we don't have hills, so... Yeah, that makes sense. I'm looking up Bank Barn right now because I want to see a picture of this. You described it really well, I, but I also want to see a picture of it. I'm I, again. I was like on the edge of my seat waiting for you to please just like please tell us what this is. So anyway, go ahead. yeah. Go ahead. And so a lot of people have these these old barns and they want to put cattle in them. Um, they oh they want to fatten up a few head. They want to do this or that. Um, but it comes with challenges when you have a building that old or the square footage of it. How can you best make um, a feed alley for these cattle and things like that? So uh, we've been working with ag engineers and also my livestock team um, of just getting information of how can you fit some of these old buildings that we have in Pennsylvania to put cattle in and meet their needs. So uh, Bank Barn has definitely been one of our biggest uh calls that we have people ask us can you come out and see my bank barn and uh, throw some ideas i I have these ideas i want to toss at you and how can we meet these cattle's needs put cattle in here i i think that is fascinating i imagine there's a point of like insulation also to some as a factor that so for our listeners if you weren't able if you're not kind of grasping what taylor's describing a bank bar is basically like if you live in a house where like you have a walkout basement, like that's yeah. a bank barn, basically, except, you know, the bottom part of it is a barn part. So um, I'm just looking at some pictures and I Googled bank barn, Pennsylvania. So I could see <laughs> and they're really beautiful. Like the ones that are showing up are really, really beautiful. So yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Like you're using the land there to help you achieve your goals. It's got a good amount of insulation. Um, we have dugouts here. Like some people live in dugout houses or like half dugout house here in Kansas. And so those homes are cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. So it just makes total sense to have a barn like that. So, but I can imagine how you like not knowing what that is and you're supposed to help people with it, that that is definitely could have provided some challenges for you. I think too, you know, um, what I tell people a lot is our, the amount of land that we have here to do things with is, is limited. Whereas I, I feel my experience in the Midwest was um, if you needed some more land, you're, you're just kind of watching the market to see what you can buy or who you can rent from. And that's not always the case here. So um, also if you needed a barn, you could build one um, or, it was more of an option to build one because you had the land to do it or the space to do it. And here right. uh, they don't. And so they're really trying to use what they already have or make it fit in what they have, um, which can come up with some challenges. And that's why we always uh, piggyback with our engineers on our uh, Penn State extension teams. 
Yeah, I mean, like again, it's just the chat. We all have challenges, right? Based yeah. B production, they're just different based on where you're at. And I, like I, Pennsylvania is not this way, but I always like when I go to a big city and I see them like building a new building in a tight space. And it amazes me, like how they get the cranes and stuff in like that. And I know it's not to that extent in Pennsylvania, but there are some challenges if you're going to build something new with, well, we, you know, you only have this much land. And so it's, it just goes to speak that we all have challenges, but they are different, but we're all like, you know, quote unquote, fighting the same fight. Um, I want to change tack just a little bit because um, I want to make sure we get to this. You had mentioned in our prep that you are, you know, passionate about like, people finding their career path or like finding their way in agriculture to the career that, you know, really calls to them. So, you know, can you speak more about that, whether it be in animal science or ag in general, just kind of like your thoughts on that? Cause you have taken, you know, your career path has changed and you're ultimately very happy with what you're doing, but it has changed a bit. So maybe you could just kind of provide your insight on that for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <sighs> It's been so fun. I am almost 28 years old and my career path has changed already so much from undergrad to deciding to go to grad school to managing a large herd to now into the education part. And uh, I want to take my this moment to thank um, NDSU's Beef Cattle Research Complex and my my managers there. And that's where I worked as an undergrad student. And they gave me the opportunity to really be a part of uh, research. But also, I always loved being in front of people. And they let me do a lot of tours and teach some of the our 100-level classes when I was uh, a senior. And I think that's where I really kind of sparked this education part for me. And coming back now... There are so many opportunities in animal science that mm-hmm. I didn't know when I wasn't even starting in undergrad and all of the different possibilities and uh, different animal systems or uh, the science and the fun stuff of genetics and reproduction. And there's so many different possibilities out there. And I, I wish that, we did a better job of promoting ourselves. And in this last year, I actually got asked to be a part of a, to speak for a girls in STEM, which is a high school program. And I just remember thinking like STEM, that's not, uh, that's not me. Like I don't do math. I don't do all this stuff. And you do. I do. Yeah. And I just remember getting really nervous while this, this, uh, talking event was coming up and then I just realized I remember googling okay what does stem because I'm thinking has this changed since I was in high school too <laughs> and I googled what does stem mean and I'm like science well yeah I guess I do science all the time yeah. you know whether it's reproduction it's genetics it's um nutrition I mean it's endless meat me is science and then I, I all of a sudden felt really prepared. I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch them off guard with this. So because I, I walked in there and here is just I want to say we had 50, about 50 high school girls um, that were from the area. And I a lot of them came in um, for engineering, for different mathematics. And here I come with animal science. And I out of all those girls, I had one who was considering vet school. 
Uh-huh. And isn't isn't that the story though? A lot of girls go into um, college thinking they're I shouldn't say girls, boys too. Maybe going into vet school just to be open, have their eyes open to what animal science and the different possibilities are, and they change uh, directions in their career. And after I talked to that girl who was interested in vet school, she's like, I didn't realize there was a whole nother yeah. aspect to it all, and. That just kind of grew this fire in me too. And the person who planned this entire event has asked me to come back multiple times now because it just opened their eyes to a whole new world that they didn't know. And that made me feel really good because I wish that I had somebody who told me uh, a little bit more about animal science because I had this passion growing up on a hobby farm, but I thought that maybe the only path there was was... uh, vet or vet tech. And Mm -hmm. when I started my animal science program at NDSU, I remember my advisor asking me, you know, do you want to go into the management side? Do you want to go into the nutrition side and all these different possibilities? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Can I just take a few classes and see where it goes? And you really learn what your passions are um, Mm -hmm. in that. And I learned that I loved helping people and I got to be a TA. I learned reproduction is my jam. Genetics, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I, um, you mentioned this like about you were going to go to the event and um, everybody wants to go into vet school, right? When they leave their community. I think honestly, it's because like, as we're growing up, I'm thinking about, cause I was pre-vet for a little bit and then I didn't want to do that anymore. And so, because I discovered another path and I think it's because like when we're growing up and you think about the ag professionals that you're exposed to, even if you live in, like I live in a very, I live in a rural community where a lot of people work in agriculture, but even so like there are farmers and ranchers where I live and there's a veterinarian. And like, if I'm a young kid, like I don't know that I know other people that work in agriculture and what they do, right? Like I see the farmers and ranchers and I know there's the vet, but like maybe, and I know that there's the, the, the man that and his family that own like the feed store and stuff like that. But I don't know that like the guys that work at the grain elevator, maybe have a degree in like grain processing. Like, I don't know, or grain, I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that the people who, like that the feed that is delivered to buy from the elevator is formulated by a nutritionist. Like there's so many things, even living in a rural community that we like, as you're growing up, you don't see those people in action that, yeah, it makes sense why everybody goes to wants to be pre-vet or an ag, I guess the other one they see is like an ag ed teacher. So they, you know, vet ag ed teacher own a feed store, that kind of stuff. Like, you don't realize as growing up, we don't realize like that there is education and preparation that goes into those careers and you can do those because you're just not exposed to it. So bravo to the the people that plan plan that program and have brought you in. That's great. And, and thank you uh, from one woman in STEM to another for like going and representing that. That's amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that you get to fill that role for people and help people find their career path like that. And it's not, you know, I'm trying to take them away from vet school or anyway, either. Um, my sister-in-law, actually, uh, my husband and his sisters, they were from Tulsa. They're not from a ag family at all. But my husband went into ag uh, and my sister-in-law, she, I remember her very first year of college, she uh, decided to go to Oklahoma State, 
and her second semester was sent home due to COVID. And um, university closed down, and that was, you know, your first year, you're really doing a lot of generals. Well, online college, she didn't like it, and she ended up uh, removing herself from university uh, for a year or two because she didn't know what she wanted to do, and COVID was still happening. And uh, I remember her calling and saying, hey, I'm interested in being a vet tech. What can you tell me about it? Do you know anything? Because I had, I too, in my first year of college, I worked at a vet as a vet assistant, mm-hmm. feeling out, you know, is this maybe a job I want to do? Uh, quickly realized vet tech was not my jam either, right. um, <laughs> which had me exploring into animal science. But so I talked to her about it, and you know, we talked about whether she wanted to get a two-year versus a four-year small animal versus large animal and what different possibilities she could look at. And um, she ended up sticking with the small animal and got a, she got her first job being a vet assistant and absolutely loving it. And now she's going in to get a specialty in anesthesiologist and um, for all that finished, she w- did end up going back and finishing not only uh, vet tech, but got her animal science degree from Oklahoma State. And I'm so proud of her. And it was felt very grateful that she even reached out to me to ask some questions. And yeah. it's been really fun to see her grow in that um, area, too. And I'm glad it worked out for her because for me, it didn't work out for me. And that's where I went back to animal science. <laughs> No, that's great though. Again, that you're that resource that you could be that resource for her and hopefully other people will listen to this and can use you as a resource and and that those students that you're seeing when you go to that um that event, you know, that STEM day will continue to use you as a resource. That's great. I mean, that's you're, you know, actually making a tangible impact, a positive impact. So, that's great. We always need more animal scientists. <laughs> that's right. There's there's no shortage of openings and positions for people. We just we need you know, capable people to fill them. So, and if you are interested in vet school, please do so. We do have a large shortage there. <laughs> yes, we have a large shortage of veterinarians. My husband, um, he also started out as pre-vet, but um, like many people do, like we've talked about, he changed his mind. Although he does come from a family of veterinarians, his mom is a veterinarian. My mother-in-law is a veterinarian, and then actually his youngest sister is finishing. She will graduate as a. Um, she'll graduate from vet school from Ohio State's vet program this, uh, you know, next May. So she's in her senior final year of that. So shout out to Hunter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so some people say fine, so that's going to be their thing and it's their calling and they stay with it. And some people find something else. But we definitely yeah. do need more veterinarians, definitely rural veterinarians. Um, that shortage is, is, is really quite sad. So it's time for our famous three. Data shows most cattle don't get the vitamin D they need, especially in winter months. High D from DSM Firmanish can ensure your cattle get the recommended vitamin D level to support bone strength, help immunity, and improve performance. Visit dsm.com forward slash hy d to learn more. Well, in terms of our questions, we are coming to the end of our interview, um, and I prepped you for these a little bit earlier, so hopefully you've had a chance to think about it, but we ask these same questions of every guest on every podcast show we do. So the first one is, what is your favorite beef or cattle-related book or resource? 
Currently, it has been the Ad Guide, um, the fourth edition that you can find online and print yourself or ask has just really the basics of any production. And I say this because 75% of my questions that I get, uh, call-ins, if I don't know the answer right off the top of my head, I refer to the Ad Guide and find the answer and can get back to them. And also, I love that it's a free online source that I can send to them if they want to have it too. Free and online are both and easily shareable. Those are all, those check all the boxes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so changing direction a bit, what is a book related or what is a book that is not related to Bee for Cows that you are currently reading? Or if you're not reading something right now, what is just your favorite non-Bee for Cattle book? I'm going to say this one because I... (laughs) I'm a little disappointed. It took me to be 25 years old uh, a couple years ago when I finally read them and have fallen in love. And it's the Harry Potter series. (laughs) That's good. Um, Have you read the whole thing? All of them? Not quite. I haven't read all of them yet, but I will say that I've already watched all seven of the movies two times uh, this month because it's the season, I feel like. And there are seven movies for a movie a day. A move one movie a night. That's right. Yep. That's great. I um, have not read any of the Harry Potter books. However, my cousin's son is, I mean, he's like, let's see. So he's 12 or he's, yeah, he's 12 and he is really into them. And the Harry Potter series or the publishers or whatever are coming out with like brand new editions of each ones, like big, heavy, like illustrated hardcover ones, like illustrated versions. And so I really enjoyed um, buying those for him because I love going, I love reading and I just not a big, uh, haven't got really gotten into Harry Potter, but I love buying like those big heavy books for him. And so um, I am seeing that those are having a, I don't think they were ever not popular, but they're having like a resurgence. Oh, um, that's cool. Editions and stuff like that. And you're right. It does feel like it's an appropriate time to read, to watch the movies. Cause it does feel like it's like spooky season. It's so. like going back to school and he's going back to Hogwarts and then spooky season. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay. And so our final wrap up question is when you think of someone you admire, what is a trait they have that has made them successful? I really love people who can walk into a room and make a friend anywhere and can capture their room without even trying. And two people specifically that I really admire and have really prepared me for the job that I'm in now is um, Trent Gilbury from NDSU and my current uh, mentor with Penn State Extension, Tara Felix. They both, very different personalities, but both can walk into a room and have made friends with everybody. Um, And I always look up to them and think... I, I still to this day, even, you know, trying to was my my boss as an undergrad, sometimes think back, you know, how would Trent handle this or uh, talk about the situation and um, things like that. And I really admire that and wish, hope that even though I'm a young uh, educator, I have a lot of time to grow and become those things. So that's definitely a uh a trait. Some people I feel like are just born like with that. They can just walk in anxiety free and walk up to someone and just strike up a conversation. And I think that's definitely something, um, you know, that's really admirable. So, well, thank you for sharing that with, with us and shout out to your two mentors, um, on the podcast. So 
that is sadly all the time we have for today. Thank you, Taylor, so much for joining us and sharing us about your upbringing and your career path through cows and poultry and then on to um, helping dairy producers transducing to raising beef cattle. Uh, it's been very interesting. Um, I know that I have learned a lot this episode, so thank you for that. Um, again, so thank you for being here on the Beef Podcast Show with us. If people want to like find out more information about what you do or get in contact with you or follow you, where can they do that? They can email me uh, at T as in Taylor, B as in boy, Z as in zebra, 5162 at psu.edu. Okay. Uh, that's TBZ5162 at psu.edu. I am putting that in our show notes for our listeners. So if you want to check out, if you have a question for Taylor or want to email her have a thought later feel free to do that um again taylor thank you so much for being on the show for us with us today i hope you have a great wonderful fall and and transitioning into winter which will probably be at your doorstep before it is at mine um and to our audience thank you for listening for joining us and we hope that you will join us next week on the beef podcast show Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.